Well, good morning, family. Can you, Tyler, can you turn me down just a little? Oh, yes, that's better. My name is Shaq, um, and I am, I'm, it feels like I'm screaming. And I'm one of the pastors here at Garden City Church, um, and I'm so thankful that you guys are here today. And if for those who are visiting today, um, I greet you with a warm welcome. Um, if you guys haven't met me, um, please stay after and introduce yourself to me, as Dennis once said in the beginning. Uh, it's something that we enjoy together and value, and we value getting coffee together to get to know stories and know people uh, while they're here and all those things. So please, after the service, talk with us. Um, so this morning, we're continuing uh, our study of the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to segue into Exodus 6, um, verses 1 to 13. But before we do so, let's review um, last week's sermon by Pastor Dennis. Um, in Exodus 5, Pastor Dennis led us through the uh, revolution of the Hebrews against the oppression of the Egyptians. He explained how Moses and Aaron ventured back into Egypt and went and met with Pharaoh to declare their desires. But Pharaoh immediately declared that he did not know of a Yahweh the God of Israel. Then he rejected the petition to let the people go. Pharaoh did not make their requests lightly, so he made their harsh, uh, made their burdens a lot more harsh for the children of God. They thought to kill Moses for even attempting to deliver them. They had to work harder and could not diminish their production. Then Moses returns to Lord Axon. Why? Pastor Dennis elaborated on the importance of approaching God with a why to our circumstances and then waiting for his response of now you will see what I will do. Well, let's dive into Exodus 6 this morning, but before so, let's pray and invite God into this. If you can bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, incline our hearts this morning to your testimonies, and not to selfish gain. Open our ears that we may behold the wonderful things out of your law. Unite our hearts to fear your name so that we may be satisfied in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. If you guys have your Bibles, I forgot to say amen, but yes, amen. Uh, you guys have your Bibles, turn to me to Exodus 6. I'm reading from NLT. Most of you guys have uh, ESV or NIV, but I'm going to read from NLT. And it says this, Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. 
Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord has said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell them, let the people of Israel leave this country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy clumsy speaker. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Exodus 6 is formed in three components. First, God identifies himself in a unique way. He reaffirms his absolute covenant commitment to Israel, and he reemphasizes his compassion to his people. This is the first thing that he does. The second thing that he does, he makes an amazing seven-part promises. He gives it to Moses to deliver to the people. And thirdly, Moses faithfully delivers the message, but the people surprisingly don't listen. In the closing verses of Exodus 5, Moses is at the end of his rope. He is frustrated, angry, confused. After the dual defeat of the previous verses, Both Pharaoh and Israel want nothing to do with Moses. Moses then returned back to the Lord with an honest prayer of, why have you brought harm to these people? Why did you even send me? Why have you not delivered your people at all? Here, in effect, Moses seems to be calling into question God's character. Moses is undone. His focus is on the terrible outcome of the first encounter with Pharaoh and not on the character of God who has called him. He forgot the sacred voice that called out to him and told him, I will be with you, Moses. Despite all Pharaoh's pride and Israel's rejection, he says to him, I will be with you. And Moses forgets that. In chapter 6, notice how God in his great mercy does not respond negatively to Moses' accusation. But in his great kindness and saving power addresses Moses' concern. The Lord says to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave the land. See, God did it by getting Moses to look away from Pharaoh. To look away from the Hebrews who did not trust him away from his own problems, and to look to God. We have already seen what Moses have done. We have already seen what Pharaoh, the anti-God, has done. Now it was God's turn to act. God says, when he sees and feels my great power, Pharaoh will let the people go. But matter of fact, he will force them to leave the land. God then repeats three significant phrases from his previous conversation with uh, with Moses. In verse 2, he restates, 
Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. In verse 3 to 4, he says, Moses, I am the God of your forefathers. In verse 5, he restates, Moses, I have heard your complaints. When God repeats things like this, it is because we need to hear them more than once. Many believers, including myself, need to be reminded of what we already know to be true about God. Just like Moses, when trouble comes, when things don't look our way, we need to be reminded that God is still Yahweh, that God is still God, that he is still faithful to his covenant just as our forefathers of the faith, and finally that God will attend to our complaints. But as we carry on in verse 3, it raises an obvious question. Let's stop here for a minute and read it. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them, and I reaffirmed my covenant with them. So why did God reveal his name to Moses twice? Is God saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never heard the word Yahweh? No. The forefathers were acquainted with the title of Yahweh, but the full revelation of God's name was not disclosed to them, not recognized, understood, or appreciated. This name Yahweh was known, but it was not in common use. Yahweh was his covenant name, but he was about to fulfill his covenant with Israel. They were about to witness the faithfulness and power and deliverance that his covenant name implied. God was about to reveal himself as the the faithful performer of his word and promises. The descendants would know the Lord in such a way that their fathers would not have known. They would have a greater knowledge of the gracious performance of his promises, fulfilling his covenant. See, I want us to know that God's name is just not about his title, so we know what to call him. Rather, God's names, plural, has something to do with his character. Whether it's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Whatever the name is, it has a particular meaning and gives understanding and insight and clarity to who he is. So my question is to you is, you ever think about who God is to you? Like the name of who he is? You ever think about who his name means to you? See, how God reveals himself makes it known to us of who he is and what we call him. She agrees. The baby agrees. (laughs) But after God declares himself, declares who he is, God hears a new groaning from his people, from the worsening work conditions, and he remembers his covenant. God hears them, the new groanings, and he responds by remembering. And that word remember does not mean that God has previously forgotten But to remember the covenant was to act in a human-like way so that 
many can see his promises fulfilled. I just love how God uses human language to help us understand who he is and understand what he's doing. So carrying on to verse 6 through 8, the Lord who calls us to trust in him is the God of all salvation. In the verses, he announces seven I wills of salvation to his people. He says, because of my word, because of my character, I will do these things. The impossible will now be possible. I will act out of my character, and here's how I will do it. One, I will bring you out. Two, I will rescue you from your bondage. Three, I will redeem you. Four, I will take you as my own people. Five, I will be your God. Seven, six, sorry. Six, I will bring you into the land. And then seven, I will give it to you as an inheritance. These are the seven I wills of salvation in which God proves himself that he is the Lord by saving his people, liberating them, redeeming them, adopting them, and giving them a land to be their very own. See, without getting lost in all the details, it is important not to miss the main point that salvation belongs to the Lord. All salvation belongs to him. Moses is now reaffirmed in God's character and his presence. He's amped up, he's inspired, he's, he's excited, and Moses is now sent back to the Israelites with some encouraging news. But in verse 9, it says, So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. The Israelites suffered from two things. The first was a crushed spirit due to 100 years of bitter persecution and slavery. Two was physical exhaustion from being overlooked and denied adequate rest. Both factors kept the Israelites in despair. See, imagine how Moses would have felt when the people would not listen to him. He was excited. He was inspired. He was encouraged because he heard from God. When he delivered God's wonderful message to the people, they responded like rocks. Nothing happened. They were not encouraged at all. It did nothing for them. They were not impressed with God's mighty power or his ability to remember the covenant. They were unmoved by his promises of deliverance and conquest. The verse says they were too discouraged. The Hebrew phrase for hopelessness or discouragement means because of the shortness of breath, because of the shortness of spirit. A good example would be a a, a child sobbing and grasping for their breath. This is how it felt for them. Of course, they heard the words, but they failed and refused to take the words of God to heart. They refused to believe his words, which were in fact God's words. 
Their very chains prevented them from hearing the cry of freedom. As they slaved away for Pharaoh, making bricks without straw, they lost hope for emancipation. Oppression was their unwanted companion. Suffering was their unwelcome roommate. Their despair was rooted in their unbelief and bitterness. See, Pharaoh was successful at feeding the Israelites with lies. Moses was looked upon as a deceiver. God was considered a deserter. Their bondage was more devastating than before. Their discouragement led them to reject the very message that would bring them relief. See, in many ways, like myself, like you, we are all like the Israelites. When discouragement occurs, we find it hard to hear, believe, and take hold of the promises of God. Church, it is very easy for us to be tempted to question God and wonder why he hasn't taken care of our problems. We may say things like, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long would you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my heart and, be, and have sorrow in my heart all day long? I know you are God right now, but later I start to question it. I know that you are good, but right now I'm starting to think that you're not. Often it's hard for us to see beyond our pain. Our circumstances seem more real to us, seem more tangible to us than God's character. We demand that God prove himself through action. We get confused with God's actions because we expect him to move on our terms, our plan, our timing. Friends, I want us to know that godliness does not equal immediate results. Just because you're a believer and trust God as your Savior and Lord doesn't mean that he's going to work for you. We expect his I will to look like the American dream. If Christians have enough faith, if we pray long enough, if we fast enough, if we weep enough, if we serve enough, maybe God will reward me with spiritual material blessings. Church, I want us to know that we cannot bargain with God to get a yes and amen to our promise. We can't bargain with him. We can't beat ourselves up with spiritual disciplines to get what we want. God is the healer, even if we don't get the healing. It's true, right? God is a provider, even when rent is due and you don't have it. God is good, even when everything in the world seems bad. God is faithful when your wife or husband is unfaithful. It doesn't, I don't always know why. I don't know. But we can ask him why. 
Whether or not God decides to answer our questions, church, he is certainly not afraid of them. We all have questions. Regardless of all circumstances that we have in our life, I want to tell you that he still reigns. When the present and future and past seems unclear, God still reigns. No matter how painful it is for us to grapple with, God is still Yahweh. When the promises of God seem powerless to quiet our fears, to soothe our grief, lift our worry, or motivate our obedience, we must call to mind what God is like. You know, we can say to ourselves, I'm going to rehearse what I know to be true. I'm going to recite what I know to believe. I'm going to dare to hope. Right now, I cannot know the meaning of this song. Right now, God is not faithful, but I'm going to sing about it. I'm going to dare to hope. Tim Keller once said, we may hear our hearts say it's hopeless. It's over. It's done. But we should argue back. I believe in that. When discouragement takes its course in our lives, we should argue back. And you say, you know what? No, God is good. The fight isn't easy. Believe me, I know. I'm not standing up here before you saying I got it all figured out. I know the steps to defeat discouragement. I don't. When a discouraging narrative in my mind takes over, I must fight to reorient my life. Reorient, reorient my mind and my heart. So my question to you is, what current circumstances or past experiences might make it hard for you to believe in God's promises? Is it past miscarriages? Is it infertility? Is it losing a loved one? The trauma of this pandemic? family division, divorce, spiritual abuse, depression, anxiety, or worrying what your purpose in life is and the pieces are not falling together. Oh, that's a big one. We love purpose, but when it's not working out, we seem to scratch our head and say, God, what are you doing? Take a time to think about that. Think about that, what, what that is for you. I know what it is for me, but for you personally, what, it is that, what, is it, what is it that causes you to, to question, causes you to not believe in the promises of God? And what name of God do you need to be reminded of? Is it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner? Is it Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider? Is it Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer? Let's return to the text in verse 10 to 12. It says, Then the Lord says to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh 
the king of Egypt, and tell him, let the people of Israel leave his country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. Moses was not accepted by the children of Israel. He was not accepted by Pharaoh. God told him to speak to Pharaoh again, and Moses is reluctant to go. See, his eyes are on his circumstances again, and not on God. It is no longer a three-day journey that the Lord is commanding. It is a permanent exit from the land. The message would have been more difficult to give to Pharaoh, and the demands would be even more greater for the people of Israel. See, who said that delivering God's word was easy? Just imagine, put yourself in Moses' shoes, that he had to go back to them. Moses is right there with the people, and notice what his broken spirit sounds like. He says, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Moses to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. See, Moses is standing right there, and he's just like, I'm not the guy for the job. It's not working. Pick someone else. But in verse 13, God gave them a charge. He says, But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. God gave them a charge. Even when the people were broken and full of doubt, God still charged them. And the deciding point here was whether God can be trusted, even if it turned out differently what they expected. That God was like, go back. Go back and talk with them. Go back to talk to Pharaoh. Go back to talk to the Israelites. So I'll leave you with this. Even if the exodus in your life doesn't happen, will you trust his character? If he would have never promised us anything, is he still enough? His word was good enough for the forefathers. Is his word good enough for you? If he never promised you healing, is he enough? If your family never reconciles, is God still good? I want you to think about that as you go throughout the week this week. That God, no matter what our circumstances is, that God is still Yahweh. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to acknowledge those in the room who are carrying discouragement, carrying grief, carrying depression, carrying anxiety over what is to come, or what is even standing before them. God, I pray that you will remind them that you are still God. 
that you are still Yahweh, that you are still faithful, that you are the God who gives us the I will statements that you will bring us out, that you will call us your own people, that you will give us an inheritance, Lord. So bless us, Lord, as we go throughout this week. Let us be encouraged that you do want to speak to us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.